Welcome to Mind Love, episode 200. Today's episode is all about claiming the kingdom and collective ascension. And I heard freedom will come when the throne relinquishes its king. And I thought, what the hell does that mean? And now I understand it. It's that the small self or the personality self rules a small kingdom. And the divine self or the true self is participatory to the vastness of creation in a higher way. And I kind of have a choice to make. So it's kind of like that people, some people say, you know, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? You know, it's a little like up there with that. You know, do I want to carry all my resentments? Um, Do I want to continue to vilify? Do I want to continue to claim separation and contribute to that? If I understand that these are acts of fear or do I want to perhaps you know, support change in a higher way. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hello, my love. If you have not yet subscribed, please hit that cute little button. Subscribing, sharing, and five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts are a really great way to give back if you find this show helpful. They help the show climb the charts, which helps more people find it and helps me get even better guests for you. Today, I want to share a review from Desiree who says, this is my favorite podcast. I recommend it to everyone. I've been listening for about a year now and it's helped me tremendously. It's my favorite thing to listen to at work. It keeps me positive, mindful, and always learning something new. And no matter the topic or episode, you always say something I was just thinking about or I needed to hear. It's a beautiful reminder of our connection with the universe. I wish I had found this when I was pregnant, but it has helped me grow as a person, as a mother, and as a friend. Well, thank you so much, Desiree. This review lit up my day, and I'm so glad that we're on this motherhood journey together. So thank you again. Do you ever have moments where you get this wave of panic because the world is burning, evil is winning, and it seems like it's getting worse by the day? Yeah, me too. I am human. And yeah, I hear you. Way to start the day with doom and gloom. Isn't this show supposed to be hopeful? I know, I know. I'm not trying to bring you down. I'm sharing that you're not alone. Change is hard. It's always been hard for all of us. And right now, we are undergoing some massive changes on the surface level and on the energetic level, and even more so on a spiritual level. Like I said, I am human, so I am not immune to fear. And whether you're more worried about the virus or the way we're handling it, there is a lot of fear circulating. These are the times that I lean into my spirituality the most. It's helpful for me to feel that there's a higher power that's making sure humanity doesn't accidentally implode. I have to say though, as a human in this experience, it's difficult to not let little sprouts of doubt creep in. What if this is all there really is? What if evil really is winning? What if my mom is right and those that believe in a certain way are going to disappear while all the rest of us experience a torturous seven years before we all burn in hell? Yeah, that got dark real quick. So how do I get out of my mental death spiral? I find a higher guidance system. And one of those guides for me is Paul Selig. Or I should say that several of those guides are accessed through Paul Selig. If you don't know who he is, he is one of the most remarkable spiritual channelers alive today. Paul has been on the show twice already. He was my number one bucket list guest until he got off the bucket list and onto the show. He has also been a key part in building more confidence in my own spiritual beliefs. He has dictated 10 books so far. He speaks the text in front of a live audience, and then they are transcribed with zero editing. And he can do this because he's channeling from a higher power. If you've done any writing in your life, you can imagine the almost impossibility of writing a book this way, with zero editing. Just witnessing him channel removed any doubt for me that there is something beyond what we know. There's something greater that exists alongside us in a dimension that can be accessed if we align to it. Paul's guides have been warning about what we are currently experiencing since way back in 2009. Yeah, a lot of us thought it was metaphorical. 
until it wasn't. But for me, it's helpful to feel like we're not alone. Like this is a part of a bigger plan. Like maybe the world needs to crack open a little so we can heal and remember the power that we really have. In recent books, the guides were sharing that we were at a crossroads, that we have a choice to basically destroy ourselves or to choose the higher path. Not gonna lie, that made me a little bit nervous because I don't really like things that rely on the whole world to choose the same as me for me to get where I'm going. But in his newest transcriptions, the guides share that we've already chosen to ascend. We are claiming the kingdom. What does that mean? What does it look like? Well, apparently the first steps look a little bit like the world is burning, but the next steps are up to us. We claim the kingdom by choosing to be in a new way. We can choose to see the divine in all that there is, in the pain that we see, in the people we disagree with, in the people who oppress us. And by doing so, we raise our vibration and lift those around us. The problem is we can't just visualize a new world because the potential for what this earth can be is greater than anything we've ever known. The guides say, when you're lifting in vibration, what is actually happening is that the consciousness you hold is moving in levels beyond constructs of accrued evidence. So we've never seen anything like what is to come. So we can't even imagine it. It's beyond our experience so far. It's beyond the known. So the question is, how do we hold our frequency in a vibration that we've never seen or felt or accessed? Well, that's what we're talking about today. And three key things we will learn are how we created a world in separation if we are all of God, how to release the fear of what the collective chooses and stop damning your neighbor, and how to put trust in divine will with the knowledge that all true needs are met in perfect ways. But before we go deep, I want to invite you to wake up to the morning mind love. Every weekday morning, right to your inbox, you get a short note of inspiration that reminds you to raise your vibration for the day, like a love note from the universe. Plus, when you sign up, you get two free gifts, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you grow. And it is all completely free. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Paul Selig back to the show. I'm good, thank you. So we spoke about a year ago, and I'm curious to know, what has been your experience this last year watching what's happening in the world while also having the experience that you do with the guides? Well, I mean, I've had an interesting year. I think we all have. You know, I was living in New York City, and I was sort of a diehard New Yorker, and I was working out of the country when... New York City went on lockdown um, last March, and I found myself with no place to go and ended up on Maui, where I've since made a home. So I've had a very different life in the last year. And the guides have dictated now, gosh, almost two books. They're finishing up another one now, you know, on this island. So I've had an interesting experience, but I've also had I think uh, just uh, such a personal experience of change in this time that's been informed by what we're all going through that I, I can't even speak to it. I mean, the guides talked about all this stuff and they talked about the level of change that was about to come and it came. And I remember at the time I said, you know, it was in a podcast or in, an, in a live stream and they were talking about this stuff. And I was like, oh boy, just don't let me be in New York when it happened. <laughs> I don't want to be in New York again. I was there for 9-11. I was there for the AIDS epidemic. I just give me someplace. I said, let me be someplace pretty if the crap hits the fan in Manhattan. And I was fortunate. I've been someplace pretty. So, What has been your biggest shift or realization in this last year through working with the guides? You know, I've been channeling all morning. I just finished a group. I'm a little off um, or just high from that. But my biggest realization is, I have to say, it's that it's real. It's so real. What they're teaching is so real. And I think what happened for me in this last year are things that had been theoretical became fully experiential for me in ways I couldn't have imagined. And I'm so surprised by that and so grateful. You know, I don't know how much I knew that I was saying no to what they were teaching until I was really saying yes. And I began really saying yes 
I think when suddenly everything that I knew was gone. I was living out of a suitcase for, you know, 10 months with nothing that I owned and my dog someplace else. And until the dog came and I ended up finding a home. So when it was at this place where I really got to say yes to the unknown in a new way, that everything really began to change. And I'm somebody who doesn't like change and we're all in great change now. But you know, I have the same job at NYU for 25 years. I mean, I'm not the kind of person, if I find a restaurant I like, I'll go there every night. You know, I won't go to the new one that opens up next door. A terrible creature of habit and all of that was taken and the results were, were, were quite wonderful, at least in my case, yeah. It seems so symbolic of this latest book, just in how it's talking about releasing of the old and being lifting to the higher vibration, lifting to the upper room and challenging this idea of separateness. And we all have kind of had been set in our ways. And it's, we're, I think we're, it's a stripping not only of all of the old that we're holding on to spiritually, but even physically. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the guides have said, they said this back in 2009 when they were dictating the first book. They said humanity is at a time of reckoning and a reckoning is a facing of oneself and all of one's creations and everything that's been sort of created in fears, you know, going to be seen and renowned, you know, in a higher way that this is all opportunity for change. And that I think we're, we're, we're in it. There's no question. And the guides, I think, have been pretty on the money about how we might attend to these times and how we might attend to our own development through them. You know, that's what I see. So it all makes perfect sense to me. Things that they were talking about four years ago that I understood as concepts, I'm now understanding as as things that can be lived, experienced, practiced, and known. Last time we spoke, we had talked about this idea, and I don't remember if it was in one of your previous books or in a live stream that I attended of yours, but the guide said that humanity was at a crossroads and we had a choice. And honestly, I remember that making me a little bit nervous because I don't like things where suddenly my my safety, my well-being, my comfort is dependent on other people. And I was like, what if we choose wrong? And in this book, the resounding message was that we have chosen, we're choosing, we are ascending. And so I have to say that gave me a lot of peace. For me too. You know, I think how we experience this is going to vary probably enormously. I mean, they said, you know, they're talking about a great wave of change and you can ride the wave or kind of be pummeled by it, depending on how much you want to sort of hold on to the old structures and the old ways of knowing ourselves Um, But again, they talk about it as opportunity. And they do say that humanity is chosen. And basically, I think the choice is to sort of move beyond these paradigms of separation that we've become so very invested in because they don't work. You know, they get us kind of where we've gotten to today, which isn't necessarily the best place to be. But I think that this is part of what happens in times of change, you have to see, you know, what's been hidden, how we treat one another, you know, in the ways that perhaps has not been convenient to look at prior. So that's where we are. So as a species, we're here on earth and we are all the divine and we've forgotten and we've created or we're, we're, we've identified with this idea of separation over time. And I'm curious if you've gotten clarity through your work in how is it that divine beings incarnate here and they manage to choose separation? We have this way of another choice, but what if we go down the path again and again forget who we are and choose separation? You know, it's funny. They were lecturing on this this morning and because um, I was doing a session for the next book and I have a small group and they were talking about the first idea of separation being something that has to be attended to, that basically separation is an idea that we've managed to continue to confirm so much so that it's kind of what we're born into with this agreement to separation. And that separation itself, the belief that we can be separate from source really is impossible, but it's something that we've made manifest and becomes our reality. They talk a lot in the kingdom about this idea that the only real challenge humanity faces is what they call the denial of the divine. And that's not a religious teaching. They say there's one note being played in the entire universe. 
And everything that we see is a manifestation or articulation of that one note and everything is operating at different tone or different levels of vibrational accord. And, you know, fear is a low vibration and we've been operating in a system that's been very entrenched in fear and need for rule and power dynamics and all of those things. So my understanding is we chose separation, you know, because we weren't getting what we thought we should get and that it showed up in different ways. And finally, it just became what we knew because we kept accruing evidence to say there can be no God or if there is a God, I can't be part of it or, you know, it has to be my way or the highway or I don't want it. All of these things. I mean, this is what they're teaching now. So I'm just wrapping my head around some of it. But they've addressed this in prior books as well. So they do say separation is an idea. And finally, it's just not true, you know, and that we're operating, they say, in an octave of tone or vibration. And that there are other octaves that we can address beyond this. But the octave that we've been operating in is one that's very invested in this idea of separation. And when you go up, it's not the case anymore. And they're teaching us how to align at a higher level where we're not choosing from fear. And, you know, separation is an outpicturing of fear. It's a belief in lack and a belief that we can't be one with source. There was a quote I wrote down uh, that said, the days of pleading with the divine to do the small self's will has been replaced by the agreement to the divine will with the knowledge that all true needs are met in perfect ways. And it's just a reminder for me of how, when we think we're not getting what we want, to reflect and, and ask, do I actually need that? And even the things that we really think that we need aren't often our true needs at the soul level at all. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. Even the things that we really think that we need aren't often our true needs at the soul level at all. Yeah, very much so. You know, we're, we're basically told what to want. I mean, our culture tells us what it means to be successful, what we should aspire to, who's worthy, who's not, what's worthy, what's not. And we, we, we go into this game, I think, of trying to get and then looking at source perhaps as a catalog of things that we can get from. And what I'm beginning to understand and actually experience is that you can move to a place of, of receipt, of agreement to source, where you understand that your needs are met as you as as you need them. It doesn't mean you don't have to do the legwork sometimes, you know. If you need a job, you might have to look for the job. But the understanding of what source is and the idea of supply is a bit altered when we stop, you know, looking at I don't know, looking at this as a parent who's supposed to give us what we want or might not. You know, my, my experience here, I've never had anything like this happen to me in my life. 
truthfully, but when I came to Maui, everything sort of happened in, I can only sort of describe it as grace. You know, I was really met, like what I needed was there. The community I needed appeared. People, you know, showed me I have a home I never would have chosen. You know, my what I'm living, the life I'm living now was not in my list of how I should live my life, but it's better. And, you know, it's funny, I had taken my dream apartment in Manhattan right before I, I never spent a night there. I actually was, was I mean, New York was in lockdown during the move. Somebody moved all my stuff for me. I never spent a night there and I never went back, you know? And, um, and I understood why I wanted what I wanted and why I thought that would be what would make me happy. But there's a part of me that seemed to know better and that's the part of me that's sort of being met now. So it's a very different way of operating. I think a lot of teachings are about how to get what you want. And I think this is a bit more about how to receive what is there already, you know, because we're not denying it. I listened to the audiobook of The Kingdom. And uh-huh. while I was listening, it is interesting, number one, how there's moments where the guides will say, like, this is an attunement. And mm-hmm. I can feel this energetic shift in my body. And in these moments where I'm listening to the words, I'm like, ah, oh, this is so true. I can feel in my bones that this is true. And then I live my life and I find myself in a moment of either fear or doubt, or I'm obviously in back downstairs, you know, and, and I've thought in my mind, like, if only I could do what Paul was doing, I would be so faithful, so have so much belief in what, what's happening. And it's almost interesting to hear you say earlier how the, my shift this year was, wow, this is real. And so I'm curious if the guys have told you, does that, does the doubt bring you back to the lower room? Like, are you ruining things as you go being a human or how do you maintain that upper room vibration even when you're not directly listening to the text? I mean, they talk a lot about maintaining the, the vibration of the upper room and, and this book, Alchemy, and the, was the book before the kingdom. And they're talking about it more now, but they're talking really about the sort of creations we have, these things that are sort of serving as obstacles. They sort of describe them like as thumbprints in the energetic field and you amass so many of them it dims your vibration it's almost like if you can think of fingerprints against a plate glass window we 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 were operating in a very muddy perception of reality which claims us in separation my experience with this work has been interesting you know i was raised sort of an atheist and when i started opening up as a clear clairaudient and um was when i was opening up spiritually and I trusted the energy that was coming because I could feel it. The information was always a little, well, maybe. And, you know, up until they started dictating books through me, my investment was never in the information that was coming through. It was always how palpable the energetic attunements were that they were delivering. So I trusted the energy and the information, you know, once they begin dictating books and I, you know, I, I had to go, well, you know, I don't know how articulate I might be. I'm not capable of closing my eyes and dictating now, you know, almost 10 books that don't require any editing that just take days, you know, to deliver. I mean, that was, that helped me. But I think living the teaching, which I think I'm really beginning to do in a different way, is understanding that I have the worthiness to do that, you know, whereas I I suspect that was a question, you know, part of my challenge in my role has always been who the hell am I? You know, I used to sometimes say, well, the radio doesn't get to dance to the music and I'm the radio. And my job is to show up for the dictation. And I've done that, you know, for years and I show up uh, often when I don't want to for that. So I don't know, I think um, how we maintain it, I think there are simple ways that we can. So one of the, the easiest ones is to stop making choices based in fear. You know, they say the action of fear is to claim more fear. They make a real distinction between fear and prudence. Prudence is there's a sign on the lake saying thin ice. So maybe that's the best time not to skate. Do you know what I mean? It's just, you don't have to be fearful of, of the water or skating, but maybe it's not wise to do that. So the other thing that I find enormously helpful um, and challenging 
is the very simple teaching, what you damn or who you damn damns you back and what you bless blesses you in return. And they say this, this isn't a teaching about morality, it's a teaching of energetic accord. So who you put in darkness, the guides say, calls you to that darkness. And you can't be the light and hold another in darkness. It's really, really simple stuff. So these are things that we learn through. And the guides have said, and I just said this the other day in a live stream, you know, every obstacle that we face on this path becomes the opportunity to learn. These are the, these are, these are the things we grow through. So I get to see when I'm triggered or when I'm angry or when I'm frightened, you know, what it is and where I'm sort of standing in my own way. And that doesn't stop, I don't think. I think for me, if I were to be honest, you know, I've lived the life in some ways of a fairly frightened man, you know, and I'm only seeing that now that I'm not experiencing it that way as I used to, you know, and I suspect most of us are. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm here to do what I'm supposed to do. I care what people think of me. I want to do it right. All of these things, they're not all terrible things, but they're ways of being in the world that I think support an idea of separation. So I think the thing about the upper room is first knowing that it's a place that one can align to or a level. It's not a place. It's a level of vibration or it's, it's an octave, it's a, it's, a, it's a level of vibration that we can align to. The guides say we're all radios and our broadcast is our consciousness and our consciousness is calling into manifestation individually and collectively our experience of the world. And when you start playing the higher broadcast, you start aligning to a, a different potential for reality that can then be claimed. I know the guides have been really drilling in the message that it's our agreement to the fear that makes us complicit to it. And yeah. one of the things that I know a lot of people struggle with is it's one thing to try to go to the upper room, to try to align to a higher level. But one of the things that they said also is like, when none of you are claiming war, there is no war. When none of you are claiming fear, there is no fear. But yeah. to expect everyone else to be in alignment with the higher vibration that you are trying to align to seems almost impossible. And so I know for a lot of people that discourages them. So what is the experience of the individual who chooses to align while everyone else may still be aligning in fear? Oh, I understand. And this is how I'm understanding it today. The guides have said you really become the doorway between these two realities and the energetic field that you hold, which begins operating in this higher way, begins to translate experience to the upper room. In other words, you become a light that transforms what you encounter. And it's not through effort, although you may, one may be asked to act. There may be things to be done. It's very much about how you be that does this. And, you know, I'm not a very good new ager. I never have been, you know, I know it's just a little too fluffy for me at times. It was exciting when I was a kid, but this idea that we create our own reality has moved to this level of singularity. Like I create everything. Well, I didn't create the war in the Middle East. However, it's in my consciousness and how I hold that in consciousness, the guides would say, informs that situation. And the guides say, you know, we've lived in a field for so long or in a world for so long where war has been an expectation that we're going to continue to perpetuate that until we move to a level of alignment where war is not an option. And they say there's different ways to do that, and we can do that by blowing ourselves up. And we may. You know, that may be how we learn that it's really futile, that that's not how things are really solved. But what they're teaching now, and they're really teaching, it is alchemy and how a world is transformed through consciousness. And they do say that, you know, what you're doing by lifting to the higher, by going to that level, is that you have the ability to lift what you encounter to that level as well. But they said, and they've said this a lot, you can't lift the evil man to the upper room because you have made him evil, which means you're down there in the lower with him. So I'm not going to lift the war through my hatred of war, my fear of war. It's really a question of reseeing and reclaiming what the guides call the, the ever-present divine. 
So they say God is the source, and they say, again, there's one note being played as all manifestation, and this one note is playing out in everything we see. So the denial of the divine is the problem. When we start reclaiming the divine, they say things begin to change, and that we have the authority to do that. We're not fixing people. We're literally shifting consciousness, and then consequently, for example, when you're not afraid how you make choices change. It's really simple. Of course, suddenly there's a whole bunch of other options. And when you're not operating in fear of other people, how your relationships unfold is probably quite different as well. And I think we have to translate this sort of beyond our our individual agreements and look at how we're already aligned to structures that are informed by consciousness. Now, what the guides have said, and this is interesting and challenging, and they've been saying this for a few years now. They first started, it was in the Book of Truth, I think, which was dictated about five years ago, maybe. And they said, what's about to happen is that everything that's been buried is about to be exhumed. So they said, if you can imagine your backyard is now suddenly an archaeological site dig, you know, things that were buried five days ago and 5,000 years ago are coming up to be seen. And they're coming up to be seen because nothing is transformed until it's brought to the light. We tend to think we want to bring things to the light to to make them wrong or, or vilify, but it really is about reclamation. Because again, what you damn damns you back, but what you bring to the light can be changed. So they said that period was happening and they've been saying again, that we're in a period of reclamation where the structures that we've all been in alignment to, whether they be governmental or religious or economic, all of these things that have become so invested in the need to f- in fear or control are going to be renown, which may have to do with a bit of a disassembling of the structures that we've known. And this is the kind of change that we're beginning to see now. But that this, they say again and again, this is opportunity. You know, I mean, you can't continue to rebuild the house that's been riddled through with termites. You know, there comes a time when it's time to build another house and hopefully a house that isn't riddled through. So this is sort of what I understand about this as of today. Yeah, I believe one of the biggest things my soul came here to work on was judgment. And so uh, there's a quote, the need to vilify your brother simply means you vilified yourself. And what you damn damned you back, I probably say once a week <laughs> to my husband or whatever. And and that's a difficult one because yeah. when, especially when things are starting to affect you as an individual and you see or you think you see clearly people that are doing this, maybe even on purpose for their own gain, it's really hard not to look at that person as an evil person. And I remember in my email newsletter after our last interview, I I wrote a little inspirational thing, something about how everything is of the divine and stop trying to claim people outside of that. And people got fired up about that. <laughs> like, like, there are evil people. How are you supposed to see terrible things as of God? And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. How are you supposed to see terrible things as of God? Well, I don't think it's about seeing terrible things as of God. I think we're responsible for our actions. We're accountable to whatever we do, everybody is. And that's karma and that's pretty basic stuff. So the evil in the world is our creation. It's not God's. But we must sort of, I think, distinguish the action from the the person. And so the guides say, when you deny the divine in another, you deny the divine in yourself. That does not mean I have to condone or agree with their acts. It's a totally different thing. So I don't think that, you know, war is of God, you know, or war is is something, I think war is something that we created, but everybody participating in it is of God, like it or not, and can be renowned or reseen that way. If I just want to make people evil and cast them out, you know, that's that old kind of teaching, you know, then there's no such thing as redemption, which is the basis of this teaching, I think, which is the reseeing of the inherent divine. So God is more powerful than that, or God can't be there at all. You don't, I think the guides have said, you know, you don't get to cherry pick what's divine. And I understand that somebody might mean to say, well, that person who killed all those people, are they divine? Well, their act isn't, that's for sure, because the guides say you don't kill what you know to be holy. And they would, I suggest what they would say would be something to the effect of the one who's done that has forgotten who he is or who she is. They're denying their inherent divinity because one would have to do that to perpetrate such pain. But the idea then is that we can re-know them in a higher way. You understand that? And that's what transforms things. Otherwise, we're just all going to end up dead. I think that's sort of, that's the end of that play. If we want to continue to invest in conflict as the answer, I think then we just all go, okay, that's that. And that's what we've done. You know, the guides say the action of fear is to perpetuate fear. And they say, look at every choice you've made in fear and see what it got you. And what they've said, and I found this interesting, this was just recently. They said, you know, fear isn't very smart. You know, fear doesn't doesn't descend. Fear doesn't transcend. Fear perpetuates itself at its own level. It's like cancer. It sort of eats everything that it encounters, but it doesn't lift. And so my question had been, well, if is fear of God, if everything's of God? And they said, yes, but fear doesn't know it. Fear refuses it. But everything must be of God, and even fear can be renowned. You know, so this is, I mean, these are, it's a large teaching. It's covered now nine books that are in print, you know, and there's more coming. So if I try to reduce things to a soundbite, I'll probably, you know, um, not be understood. And so the things that I can quote them on are the things that are easier to comprehend. But the teaching of evil and the teaching of how things are transformed, I mean, basically that's in many ways the teaching of the Book of Alchemy, you know, where they talk about this, because in a lot of ways it's what keeps us still. I mean, I get pissed at people all the time and I don't like a lot of what people do. And I don't have to agree with what people do. Some people think that the teaching of forgiveness is the teaching of remaining a victim. And it's so so simply not. You know, the guides say who you put in darkness calls you to the darkness. And it's true. 
So the idea of leading someone that, you know, in one of the books, there's a meditation where you're invited to uh, go into a cave, you know, and in that cave is the one person you never want to see again as long as you live. And the guides say your job is to lead them out of the cave because you put them there and they've called you to the darkness with them. And if you understand that letting them out of the darkness is liberating yourself, that doesn't mean you have to have to have dinner with them or vote for them or do any of those things. You know, it's not about that. But it is about supporting yourself in claiming a higher level of alignment than you can when you're entrenched in that level of, of negativity. Right. Because even if somebody's doing something so heinous that you don't understand, if they cannot be redeemed, then you're going to judge yourself that same way because there's a part of you that believes that certain yeah, exactly. sins, certain bad acts aren't worth redemption. Exactly right. Yeah. And that's when we end up playing God, you know. I mean, the guides said, you know, we're of source. Everybody is. And they also say God or whatever you want to call God can't favor one over the next. It's just not possible. That would be hypocrisy to do that. But they do say inherent in everybody, no matter what they've done or who they are, what they think they've done, there's an aspect of them that is the divine seeking expression. And it's our acknowledgement of that part of them. You can call it the true self or the guides call it the monad. Sometimes they've called it, you know, the Christ. You know, this divine spark must be present. It may be hidden. It may be denied. Most of us are pretty busy denying it in ourselves and consequently everybody else, you know, and that's the game. That's the game of separation. So to remember this is now it's rarely convenient. None of what the guides teach is convenient and none of it is going to support me in my own self-righteousness. Those people should burn that. That man should be punished terribly. It's funny, I did a reading online, it was a public reading in a live stream the other day, and there was a woman who had, I think she had lost someone to, uh, it was a it was a vehicular murder, somebody intentionally was, was running people down, and was questioning whether in their process of forgiveness, they should request a lighter sentence for the perpetrator of the act. And the guide said, that's really not necessary. You can if you wish, but you know he's accountable to what his actions are. You're accountable to how you hold him and how you see him. You understand? I mean, that's the way to, to help. If she wants to do that, she can. I suspect that's really up to her, but I don't think that that's what they were teaching. It's big stuff. None of it's convenient. None of this is stuff that I think wouldn't be nice. You know, the guides have said a million times, self-righteousness is always the small self or the personality self. And every time I want to get in my high horse and start to blame everybody, that's generally where I'm coming from. That doesn't mean, I think, that if I see two people fighting on the street and I'm in a position to stop it, I don't do that if I have you know, home, if I have room in my home and I'm able to support somebody in their well-being, I can do that. There are lots of ways we can serve on this plane, but we spend most of our time making other people wrong instead. And I think that's a shame. Yeah. One of the things that stood out to me that the guide said was that any being that claims to be acting in a high way while damning another is in deception. And <laughs> and there have been definitely moments in the last year where I'm just like, I mean, I see things clearly. That person over there is, is the one causing this. So Yeah. No, it's a, it's like I said, it's a challenge. You know, I don't love it, that's for sure. But I understand that it's true because I understand how I suffer when I do that. You know, finally we're the ones who suffer. And you know, if we want to sort of be in a position, I mean, imagine like I'm the head of the neighborhood society or something, and I want to decide who gets to live in the neighborhood and what the rules are, and I can be outraged when somebody defies them. And that's the kind of world I want to live in. I suppose I can, but don't expect transcendence. Don't expect <laughs> to align to the higher. The guides have said the small self rules a small kingdom. Now, one of the first things that I was told when I was opening up to channel, I'm 99% sure that I heard this in channel because I wrote it down because I didn't understand it. And I was in my early 30s and I was in pain. And I heard freedom will come when the throne relinquishes its king. And I thought, what the hell does that mean? And now I understand it. 
It's that the small self or the personality self rules a small kingdom and the divine self or the true self is participatory to the vastness of creation in a higher way. And I kind of have a choice to make. So it's kind of like that people, some people say, you know, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? You know, it's a little like up there with that. You know, do I want to carry all my resentments? Um, do I want to continue to vilify? Do I want to continue to claim separation and contribute to that? If I understand that these are acts of fear or do I want to perhaps, you know, support change in a higher way? Yeah, one of the things that I was having realizations with while going through this latest text was how so much of my earlier spiritual journey is about this idea of like, oh, claiming the new world in a way of manifesting, holding a vision for it. And so much of this text is about releasing that vision and releasing anything that you know here. Because one of the things that I had written down too was when you're lifting in vibration, what's actually happening is that consciousness is moving in levels beyond the constructs of accrued evidence. And the guides even discussed the idea of when you name something, it lowers it in vibration to a density of what we know. And so what I've been working with and I'm still finding clarity on it every day is, is the idea of like, how can I hold this idea of the divine while also releasing my ideas that I previously held of what the divine may be, if that makes sense. Totally right. I mean, that's, you know, it's so funny. You're talking about the things they've been lecturing on like this week and that even our idea of God is the best that we can do. You know, it's still limited and it's still sort of informed by all of this historical data of what God should be. They say finally it becomes experiential, and that it is essentially beyond words, you know. I'm, I've had, I would suggest in my life, tastes of it. It's not where I live. You know, they're teaching about bringing us to a place of union now. The guides are teachers. I mean, they're much smarter than I am. The best that I can do is try to explain my understanding of what they say. But I'm not the teacher here. You know, I'm the schmo who sits up in the chair and takes the dictation and, and hopes it starts making sense in his life, which thankfully it has. Well, when they're saying God is, God is, God is, which is the big claim of the kingdom, you're speaking to the one note play that everything that you see is actually made up of the same stuff beyond the names that has been given, beyond the morality attached to it. And then that's when you begin to have another experience of reality. But you can't, it's not, other than that, I think what you're doing is you're, you're moving the chair to the other side of the room and saying, I'm in a different room. You know, I think the different room is a different perspective and a different level of awareness of where you are that perhaps does not apply to the old system, to the old way of being in the ways that are comfortable for us. I mean, this isn't a self-help teaching. It's a mystical teaching. You know, that's my understanding at this point. I think it was a self-help teaching. It would be, you know. Uh, to the 10 steps to to ascension or something like that. It's just not that. This is really about your experience. You know, one of the claims in one of the texts that they've really yet to fully unpack is that we have this desire to know God, you know, that's earnest. And that we're so busy seeking, we forget that we are known. And one of the claims they used to work with was the claim, I am known, I am known, I am known, to sit in that. And they said, allow God to know you, whatever that is, whatever God is. So I understand source, you know, they've talked about it as the infrastructure that underlines all reality. That's what God is. You know, it's it's consciousness. That's my understanding. So you can call it whatever you want, I think. You can have whatever kind of relationship to it you want. I suspect we already do, all of us. Whatever we think God is or God is not or that there is no God, it completely informs our sense of who we are and how we operate in a reality. And I suspect it may always be that way. But, um, yeah, they're talking about letting go of the idea of God in order to know God itself and letting go of the idea that we could be separate from that in order to realize that we're ne- we never have been. But these are big things, they're not little things. They also talk about our perception of things, which I have found extremely helpful, especially with what the world is going through. But 
this isn't the example they use, but it's something along the lines of one person might go outside and say, oh my gosh, look at this horrible, gloomy weather. And another person goes outside and like, look at this beautiful rainstorm, <laughs> you know? And so is this the same rainstorm? It's two different perceptions of it. And so I have been bringing awareness to when I am looking through things of the lens of terrible or not what I want it to be. And maybe that's a, a dip in vibration. And I'm curious for you, personally, since you're so close to this work, when you find yourself with an outlook like that, what do you do to reclaim a new outlook? Or is it as simple as just claiming it? Sometimes I just want to be cranky, you know, and I, <laughs> you know, I'm very good at it. I've spent much of my life complaining and being cranky. So I can do that if I want to, you know, I have free will and then that's my choice and then that's my world. I don't think I work at trying to fix things anymore in quite the way that I did. But I do understand that I'm in choice and that I can make another choice as to how I'm responding to things. So when I get frightened by something and that happens, you know, I have to look at what's being instigated, what the situation is, what, what I'm frightened of and why I get to do that. And then I can protect, you know, perhaps reframe that experience for myself in a larger way, but what I'm finding, and I don't know if this will last, but it's been my experience, is that I'm frightened so much less, you know, because I just sort of go, okay, well, that's what that is. And I don't know if this, you know, this is my experience now, I'm trying to sort of explain something that's happening now, I'm not on the other side of it yet. So I wake up now and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for my life, I'm grateful for my health, I'm grateful for my home. I'm grateful for my friends. I'm grateful for the opportunities that are before me. I'm grateful that I can work. I'm grateful that this crazy ride that I've been on with the guides has supported me in changing my life in a very positive way. I'm, de I'm deeply grateful right now, and that's what changes a lot. And if I want to be cranky, which I'll do probably for a period of time every day, I get bored with it. It's not as interesting and it's not as fun. And, you know, every time, and I, you know, things stop working. When I find myself speaking ill of somebody, I get really uncomfortable now. I just don't want to do it. It just, it hurts. I can feel it bringing me down and I can hear how it's landing. And I go, this isn't how I want to be in the world anymore. This doesn't help me. It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help the person I'm talking about. When I also believe that, you know, what you do comes back. So I prefer, you know, it's not that I'm frightened of a rebound. I just don't want it. So that's the big difference. I don't have the interest as I used to in sort of indulging my misery but I was a pro at it, you know, you need to understand that. I was really good at it. If I had been a happy camper when I was younger, I don't know that I would have ended up on this journey at all. You know, I got onto this journey when, when I was 25. I was um, a list of everything that I thought I had to have achieved in the world. And I was a year out of Yale, I was a writer. It was, you know, I was my, the career that I wanted was happening. I was in magazines, it was exciting for me at the time. And, but everything was a mess. And there was no way around it. And that's when I began to pray for the first time in my life. And I didn't believe in it, but I believed enough to do it. And I got an answer and my life changed. And that was like, that's what happened. And everybody was stunned. I was stunned. I mean, I had platinum blonde hair. I was, you know, like Billy Idol. I was this, you know, rock and roll kid. So the journey that I've been on hasn't been graceful. It's been bumpy as can be. Some of it's just sucked. And I'm grateful for all of it right now because of, of where it seems to have taken me. And again, all I have is today, all any of us has is today to have this experience of being. But you know, the, this is a teaching of being first and foremost. It's not a teaching of getting stuff. It's not a teaching of becoming the wise woman or the wise man. It's not the teaching of you know, being more holy than somebody else. It's a teaching of being and being at a level of awareness, hopefully where we can be of help, you know, through our presence and through what we're called to act upon.
I met you four years ago at one of your workshops and, and you did a mini reading on me. And one, <laughs> one of the things you, it was exactly like I was, you did this kind of scale thing and you're like, you're just so focused on doing, 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 you need to be more in the being. And I will admit at the time I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> and now it's through the teachings that I'm realizing how every moment there's a choice and that is what creates the being. And I want to do it in this way of like planning for the future, which is not in the here and the now. And in one way, the guides say like, what you are fearful of incurring exists in one way as a potential. And as you continue to affirm it, you concretize it, you give it authority and it becomes an agreement for you. I will know myself in fear. And so what I've been trying to do is the opposite and not worry about how I'm going to be tomorrow, but just in this moment, I will know myself in love. I will know myself in truth and, and try to see through those eyes. And it's becoming the default in the way that you're, you're explaining it. Whereas like now you're waking up and it's not like you're striving to be, you're just choosing to be one moment at a time. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, that's it. I mean, there's things I would change. I want to lose weight. I want to get partnered. I want, you know, I want, you know, everybody to be healthy and stop worrying and stop, you know, having to contend with all this crap that we're dealing with now. However, I have the day. I have the day. And what you said about it sort of becoming the new default, I think, is how we just align in a higher way. It stops being comfortable to do the old thing. It stops being necessary. In terms of planning, you know, I used to say, well, we got to plan for some things. And they said, yeah, you know, if you live in the forest, it helps to have firewood in the winter. You're responsible for that. You know, if I don't go to the supermarket, there's going to be no food in the house. You know, I got to show up and I got to plan for the week. It's not about, I think, not being practical. I think it's perhaps about not staking our sense of well-being on a future that's not present, that we really can't know, best I can say it today. Well, thank you so much for everything that you've brought to this. You've been absolutely a life-changing role in my life with the guides. And so for listeners of this show who aren't as familiar with with you, where's the best place for them to connect with you online? Um, just my website, which is paulselig, P-A-U-L-S-E-L-I-G.com. I'm on Instagram. There's places to find me, but all the information about the books and the workshops and the online events are all listed on the website. All the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 200. I cannot believe we're on episode 200. And this is just the main feed. We also have like 60 exclusive episodes. So I am really excited that today's episode got to be Paul Selig. Paul Selig was my number one bucket list guest and I've now been able to have him on three times. So that goes to show the power of pursuing your dreams. Well, your challenge for this week is to just practice being. Your ascension, spiritually or otherwise, is only in this moment. The divine is only in this moment. And so I know for me, I've tried to make my spiritual journey too logical sometimes where I'm like, well, then I'll do this to get to that. And I've got to focus on this and make sure I'm clear headed here. No, I only need to focus on this moment. I only need to choose to see God or to see the divine in all things in this moment. I only need to see that person in love in this moment. I only need to stop judging things in this moment. When we think about not judging for the entirety of our lives or uh, being a judgment-free person or living in love forever, it is impossible. It seems impossible to us. But when we focus on moment by moment, choosing a new thing, claiming the divine, claiming the kingdom, just in this moment, suddenly it becomes more than possible. There is a path. That's not to say that you're never going to find yourself in judgment, but in that moment of awareness, you just choose differently. So that's what I'm focusing on this week. It's to relax into being without the striving and moment to moment choosing the world that I wish to see. I wanna know how it goes for you guys. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. If you feel inspired to share this episode, I would so appreciate it. 
when there are bigger guests like Paul Selig, we want to show them how much we're listening so that we reinforce their decision to be on the podcast. So take a screenshot, share this, tag Mind Love Melissa, Mind Love Podcast, and Paul Selig. You can also support the show by supporting one of my amazing sponsors or by signing up for Mind Love Premium at mindlove.com slash premium or right there in the Apple Podcasts app. And that is all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 